Welcome to Life Club. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Sarah Olivieri. Sarah, are you ready to do this? I am ready. All right, let's go. Sarah is the founder of Pivot Ground. They're an organization helping nonprofits make bigger impacts using simple frameworks. She's a best-selling author, former executive director. Sarah, I'm excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do sure. what you do. Yeah, well, you know, personally... I'm a business owner and I love my work, but I'm also a mom. I have a nine-year-old son and I'm a sailboat racer. Um, we're just coming to the end of sailing season. Um, that keeps me pretty busy in, all, in my free time. <laughs> like those of us who are parents, single parents and own our own businesses have free time, but I do it anyway. And I live in the beautiful Hudson Valley um, where I was just saying, we're coming to the end of our beautiful peak fall season where the colors are just gorgeous. Awesome sailboat racing yeah <laughs> we could do How the whole podcast on that <laughs> good enough <laughs> sailboat racing is awesome you love it cool all right and 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 what about nonprofits? how how did you find yourself in that world yeah, well, I kind of got sucked into it, as probably most people who find themselves in nonprofits do. I uh, was hired as a conference coordinator when I was just out of college, and um, that became program director, and that turned into being a founder of a nonprofit, which turned into being executive director of a number of organizations. And then I kind of left and started doing marketing for for-profits because I'd learned how to build websites and do marketing along the way. And then that sucked me right back into working with nonprofits because they became my clients. I could serve them better than anybody else. It, but then I came back to this challenge that nonprofits had. They couldn't handle great marketing because they couldn't, not only could they not move quickly, but they couldn't even like progress forward at a consistent pace. And that sucked me right into how to run nonprofits better. And I had learned a lot running several for-profit businesses in the meantime. And so, you know, sometimes like you guide your business and other times your business like takes a turn and then you're like running to catch up with it. So I did that. And now I am squarely focused on helping nonprofits run better. I created a framework to help them do that. And so it's such a pleasure to be teaching nonprofits that. But I have to say, you know, for all your listeners, some people are nonprofit people, some people aren't. Another way to say what I do is I help businesses grow to seven and eight figures. And I like to just kind of throw that in there because we use that language for for-profits all the time. And when we think of nonprofits, usually our mind doesn't go to money <laughs> and but these are not necessarily teeny businesses these are large potentially large organizations with all the people problems and growth challenges and scaling challenges that for-profits have yeah certainly anytime there's people involved probably going to have the same kind of problems oh yeah and i like to say in nonprofits there are more people per dollar so you actually have to be better at business to do well running a nonprofit than you do a for-profit. You know, like I still sometimes do some for-profit consulting and that's just like so much easier. <laughs> just as a, as a business model, it's, it's so much easier uh, working with for-profits than nonprofits. Just because the heart is bigger and they want to take care of more people. 
Well, no, because every nonprofit, even at its smallest stage, has to have this two-pronged business model of both a fundraising business and a mission delivering business. And those two businesses serve different audiences, but they're very interrelated, right? So like if I told you day one, you have to start two businesses at the same time. And even the smallest nonprofit has to have a board of directors of a minimum of three people. So that's like, you know, already a lot of, you know, cooks in the kitchen trying to run two businesses at the same time. That is a heavy, heavy lift to make. And then you throw two more things on top of that. One is most people get into nonprofits for the love of their mission, not for the love of business. So they don't necessarily come in with those skills or even that desire to be amazing at business, but they actually have to be really good at it. And then you have all these people, right? So we just talked about that initial board of directors, but you've got like for-profits don't have to manage volunteers on top of their staff. And then you have this culture that says, that it's okay to tell nonprofits how to spend their money, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I told a for-profit business, oh, sell all you want, but your customers get to decide how they spend them, you spend the money that they pay for your products. You'd be like, no way, my customers wouldn't put the money in the right place. They don't know how to run my business, right? And they don't necessarily have the right interests in the right places. So it's, it's very dynamic in the nonprofit space. Which explains the challenges. Yeah, and, and that's why why they look messy on the outside. It's really just that they're complex. If only somebody had created a framework to help organizations. <laughs> so, only. <laughs> tell, tell us about. So you are you've 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 done it. You've been on the inside and the outside. You say okay, there are certain. <clears throat> certain areas that we need to address. And instead of me doing this one at a time, I can create some scale and repeatability by putting a framework in place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's totally my thinking is, you know, there are 1.7 million nonprofits in the U S and so far I'm the only one who's created a framework designed for nonprofits, right? We've got to try to do this at scale. And I really believe, you know, I was, I I'm a reluctant consultant meaning that, you know, if I bring my brain to your business, I probably know so much about business and have so much experience, you probably can't use my ideas. I would rather help you have a system that helps you consistently generate better ideas for yourself than for me to come in, get to know you, give you my ideas, and then as soon as I'm gone, you can't really implement as them as well. Plus, you know, they're my ideas, whether they were better or worse anyway, they're not your ideas. You're gonna be better at pursuing your own ideas, but a framework can really help somebody come up with a better idea. And I use my own framework to help myself come up with better ideas because having like some constraints and structure to help you think helps you think better. Yeah. Yeah. Having the, having the ability, time, freedom, headspace to be able to actually think and use our brains. <laughs> what a powerful thing. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody talk about how um, great ideas are awesome. That's, that's fine, but I would rather give you the ability to create your own. So I think that's like, that's, that's fantastic. So there's operation things, there's team building uh, there's obviously fulfilling the mission and then making sure that people aren't burning out. How, 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 how big is this framework? How many parts? 
Yeah, well, there's three main parts. Um, I like to think of it so nonprofits are businesses who specialize in innovation or they should, right? If you never thought of of nonprofits that way, that's how I'd like you to think. Nonprofits are businesses who are solving the world's most complex, unsolved and relatively unprofitable problems. Um, (laughs) And so they need to be excellent innovators. So the three things that they need to be focusing on that the model are built around are having capacity, right? As much capacity, we need to be really slick and and efficient. Um, The next thing is strategy, really good strategy. And when I say strategy, I also always think about acting on strategy because a strategy that you're not gonna take action on, like that's nothing, (laughs) it's just a piece of paper. And improvement, you have to have a process around continual improvement, um, which there's been plenty of work done on the past. And so within those three things we have in the capacity department, um, I'm always thinking about when I think about capacity and what's in the framework is a system for alignment, right? So most of what fuels an organization's capacity are the people and then certainly money, but money usually we translate into people or other tools in some way. It's really people that fuel all businesses. And so if you want to have great capacity when it comes to people, they have to be an aligned team. They have to all be rowing in the same direction. So we have to have clarity and have the right people on the boat (laughs) and make it clear, like what kind of boat are we on? Where are we all going? Of course, I'm a sailor, so I like to use the boat analogy, but you could use a car or a house if you want. Um, And so we have to have alignment and we have to have then clarity of roles and making sure that we have the right people in the right roles. And once we have those things, the money always follows. Like I never say I focus on fundraising. And yet again and again, like my clients start doing this, especially this capacity piece. And the money just starts coming in. Donors just start sending checks because they finally have the capacity and the focus to be doing the right thing. So that's the capacity piece. And then a little deeper into the strategy piece is, you know, I really believe the for-profit world has gotten much gooder at this, that we need to have um, iterative strategies. We need to be updating like our goals and our tactics regularly. This is a fast paced world. The nonprofit world sometimes still tries to do 10 year strategic plans. I certainly see people try to do five year strategic plans. Goals just don't, they're just, they don't stay static like that. Unless we're talking about, you know, you just replaced your roof with a 20 year roof, then you can set a 20 year goal. But most things these days are not like that. And then just innovation, right? Constantly being able to review and having a clear system for communicating ideas, learning to try experiments, safe to fail experiments. Nonprofits have been told for many, many years that they're not allowed to experiment. And I think that's just, that just breaks my heart because how can we solve the world's most complex unsolved problems if we're not experimenting, right? No kidding. <clears throat> These are all hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> is there an area where, where people have the hardest time getting their arms around? Um, I think being willing to, so most, most of my clients come in and they're all ready to the state of overwhelm that they're considering quitting. And so to take that leap of faith and say, I'm going to let some of the things that I've allowed 
to be busy, to, to make my time busy and I'm going to let them go is really hard at first. But that's where the peer element comes in because those clients who've gone before, once they have kind of let go and say, okay, okay, Sarah, I'm just going to try it this way. I'm going to do it in the order that you said, and um, which is really broken down one step at a time um, because they've seen their peers get results so fast. But it's that initial letting go. And I like, you can probably see behind me, for those of you who are on audio, I have these um, fire buckets uh, that I keep in my office so that I can digitally hand them across Zoom to people. They're metal fire buckets. Um, and I like to say, like, there are a lot of fires right now in your business or in your nonprofit that are distracting you, but it's okay to just put them, self in, put them in the fire bucket and let them burn themselves out. Because if you keep focusing on those things, um, you won't get there, right? It's like a, a massive game of whack-a-mole that most people are playing. And I wanna help people stop playing whack-a-mole. It's not any one thing that's so hard. It's doing them all at the same time that's so hard. Yeah, it is. Uh, and and turns out pretty much impossible, which is a recipe for burnout, um, which <laughs> yeah. you see time and time again. And it's... I mean, prioritization, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, and it seems like such an obvious thing, but that really sounds easy and does hard. So when you're just in the middle of it and you can't see the forest through the trees, being able to step back and have somebody say, these are the main tasks that you need to start following, and this is the first step that's obviously proven to help people get through that. Yeah. You know, one of the ways I dealt with that in the framework, which is called the impact method, is in that part where we're setting strategy is it's highly structured. So there's a very specific process for setting goals that forces you to prioritize your goals better. And, you know, I, for years, I struggled. People told, you know, were like, set better goals or use smart goals. And I really struggled until I did a, a deep dive, <laughs> nerd dive into the academia of goals. And I had this like realization is that some goals are outcome goals, meaning you don't have control over them. And some goals, the academics call them process goals. I like to call them execution goals, are things that you can execute on. That's why I call them execution goals, right? And and if you, so one of the steps we take, obviously I can't teach the whole framework in a few minutes, but if you start to separate very intentionally, what is that outcome that I'm looking for? And you recognize that that's a different kind of goal. Now I have to set a second goal, which is what is the thing I can do that will probably have that outcome. Now we have this structure in place that helps us get much more clarity on our goals. And then we can start to ask questions. Well, of these five things that I could do to try to have that result, which is the one that is most likely to have that result? And how much is that going to cost me to do that? Maybe there's another one that's less likely, but really cheap <laughs> to do, whether we're talking time or money. And so maybe I'll try that really cheap one first because there's less risk in trying it and maybe it will work. And um, so that's like one part that really starts to make a difference in focus. And then everything is very like, slickly tied using a digital tool to make sure that your goals dump right into your projects, dump right into your daily tasks so that we are we have a, a time to kind of look up and look at our big goals and the impact method. We do that every two months 
And then in our day to day, we're just like focused on the tasks. And we say, I know that every task on my task list is connected to a big goal that I'm working on. It was just set two months ago at the most. And I'm not going to let myself get distracted by adding other things. If I think I might need to add something else, I'll do that when I go back to my strategy in two months. I love it. The outcome versus execution. Is that because I don't have control over the outcomes? There's other people? Yeah. So like, you know, one that really tricks nonprofits is we say, oh, I need to raise money, right? Well, raising money, another way to say that is I need to get somebody else to give me their money, (laughs) right? So, you know, George, like if I want... I can't force you to give me your money, (laughs) but I certainly could do a lot of things to try to convince you to give me. So the things that I would do that would try to convince you to give me your money um, are the things that are in my control. You know, I could call you and ask you for money a hundred times, you know, maybe you'll pick up half the time. Maybe you'll pick up once, right? I don't also have control over whether or not you pick up the phone. Um, So that's where we start to get really clear in breaking those apart. Um, You know, another thing, you know, if we're talking nonprofits, I can't, you know, or for profits, right? You can't force your clients to buy your products or services, but you certainly can do a lot of activities to encourage them to do that. If we're talking about, you know, someone who is homeless and we're trying to get them into stable housing, I can provide housing subsidy. I can find an apartment. I can offer them help in moving in. I can give them furniture, but at the end of the day, that person has to choose to accept the help, right? I can't force them to be helped. I love it. Please don't call me a hundred times and ask me for money, Sarah. (laughs) I won't. And that would be a terrible strategy too. (laughs) I love it. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and how can they engage with you and Pivot Ground? Yeah, well, pivotground.com, that's uh, my website. You can learn about the impact method. Um, you can also find me, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. Um, just look for me under Pivot Ground or Sarah Olivieri. Um, you can find me on Facebook too. I'm a little bit on Twitter. You know, I'm all around the internet, a background in marketing. So, um, <laughs> but do reach out at pivotground.com if you think the impact method might be a great fit for your organization. Um, you can apply uh, to get a free training where I go in depth around um, those three areas that we talked about today. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Sarah your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to pivotground.com, P-I-V-O-T-G-R-O-U-N-D.com and learn a little bit about the impact method. And if you think that it could help your organization, by all means, get in touch and I will list all the other ways can find Sarah on the interwebs. Thanks again, Sarah. My pleasure. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.